Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the feast of the dedication of the Lateran Basilica. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. To prepare ourselves, let us acknowledge our sins. I confess to Almighty God and and to you, my brothers and sisters, that that I have greatly sinned in in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Glory to God in the highest, and and on on earth peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father, Have mercy on us, for you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord, you alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let us pray. O God, who from living and chosen stones have prepared an eternal dwelling for your majesty, increase in your church the spirit of grace you have bestowed so that by new growth your faithful people may build up the heavenly Jerusalem. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the prophet Ezekiel. The angel brought me to the entrance of the temple, where a stream came out from under the temple threshold and flowed eastwards, since the temple faced east. The water flowed from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. He took me out by the north gate and led me right round outside as far as the outer east gate where the water flowed out on the right hand side. He said, This water flows east down to the Arabah and to the sea, and flowing into the sea it makes its waters wholesome. Wherever the river flows, all living creatures teeming in it will live. Fish will be very plentiful, for wherever the water goes it brings health, and life teems wherever the river flows. Along the river on either bank will grow every kind of fruit tree, with leaves that never wither and fruit that never fails. They will bear new fruit. Every month, because this water comes from the sanctuary, and their fruit will be good to eat and the leaves medicinal. The Word of the Lord Thanks be to God. The waters of the river gladden the city of God. 
The waters of the river gladden the city of God. God is for us a refuge and strength, a helper close at hand in time of distress. So we shall not fear, though the earth should rock, though the mountains fall into the depths of the sea. The waters of the river gladden the city of God. The waters of a river give joy to God's city, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within. It cannot be shaken. God will help it at the dawning of the day. The waters of the river gladden the city of God. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, consider the works of the Lord, the redoubtable deeds he has done on the earth. The waters of the river gladden the city of God. Alleluia, alleluia. I have chosen and sanctified this house, says the Lord, that my name may remain in it for all time. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Just before the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple, he found people selling cattle and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting at their counters there. Making a whip out of some cord, he drove them all out of the temple, cattle and sheep as well, scattered the money changers' coins, knocked their tables over, and said to the pigeon sellers, Take all this out of here, and stop turning my father's house into a market. Then his disciples remembered the words of Scripture, Zeal for your house will devour me. The Jews intervened and said, What sign can you show us to justify what you have done? Jesus replied, Destroy this sanctuary, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this sanctuary. Are you going to raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the sanctuary that was his body. And when Jesus rose from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the words he had said. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, today we celebrate the dedication of St. John Lateran Basilica. Now, first off, let me just clarify one point. There's no St. John Lateran. The official title of the Basilica is this, the Cathedral of the Most Holy Saviour and of Saints John the Baptist and the Evangelist in the Lateran. Did you catch all that? So basically, the reason why it's called St. John Lateran is because the church is built on the Lateran Hill in Rome. And it's not just named after one St. John, but two of them, John the Baptist and St. John the Evangelist, John the Apostle, right? So St. John Lateran's Basilica is really just a very shorthand way of describing this church. But the title is formally this, the Cathedral of the Most Holy Saviour and of St. John the Baptist and the Evangelist in Lateran. So it's actually named after Christ, the Holy Saviour. But the other aspect here that's important is the fact that it's cathedral. It's not just a basilica. It's not just, you know, a whopping great big church. It's actually the cathedral of the Diocese of Rome. Now, every diocese has got a cathedral. 
The cathedral is the bishop's parish, if you like, uh, and what marks out a cathedral from the other churches is the fact that it contains, brace yourself, the cathedra. <laughs> the cathedra is the chair on which the bishop symbolically sits. It's a sign of his authority and of his teaching office. So the cathedral is kind of the head and the heart of the diocese. So St. John Lateran's Basilica is, in fact, the cathedral of the Diocese of Rome. It's the parish church of the Bishop of Rome, of the Pope. And, I mean, this might only be of interest to church nerds like me, but um, wouldn't you expect that St. Peter's Basilica would have been the official church of the Pope? Wouldn't you have expected that the Vatican would be the head and the heart of the Diocese of Rome? Um, turns out it's not, surprisingly. Now, St. Peter's Basilica is certainly much larger and much more grand than St. John Lateran's Basilica. And yeah, sure, the Vatican Hill is the territorial boundary of the heart of the church, but um, curiously, St. John Lateran's is still the cathedral. And there's an important reason why. It's because St. John Lateran's Basilica was, in fact, the first church. Now, you've got to remember this is all from like a Western Roman perspective. You start looking towards the East and, um, you know, the picture muddies a little bit. But, but certainly for us Roman Catholics and for us in the West, St. John Lateran Basilica is actually the caput et mater ecclesiae, the head and the mother of churches. So if you're a fellow church nerd like me, apologies, you probably know all this already, um, but... If you've actually got a life, um, this might be of interest to you. So the first thing to remember, of course, is that in the beginning of the church's history, Christians were counted as enemies of the Roman Empire. Monotheistic religions didn't really sit comfortably with the Romans. Um, and the reason why is because um, it was an essential way in which the Romans established peace in the world, right? I mean, you conquer a country. What the Romans would do is they would take the gods of that country and place them in the pantheon. And that became a way of recognising that this conquered land was now part of the Roman Empire, that the gods had been taken up into the catalogue, if you like, of Roman gods. So placing these idols in the pantheon became a way of kind of playing nice with the Romans, accepting their rule and accepting the authority of Caesar. And of course, Caesar, you know, in time certainly started to be held in a, a kind of quasi-divine light. Um, now, that doesn't sit well with Jews, uh, and it also doesn't sit well with Christians, of course, because when the Romans come to the Jews and the Romans come to the Christians and say, hey, look, give us a statue of your God, uh, and we'll put it in the pantheon with all the other gods, they kind of arc up and go, no, 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 hang on a second. Firstly, you can't make a statue of our God. And secondly, all those other statues, they're just statues. They're not gods. Um, and so you kind of set yourself up in opposition to the way that the Romans establish their authority and establish peace. So you guys don't play nice, and therefore you guys become a bit of a problem. So Christianity um, and even Judaism, you know, was a very uneasy relationship between the Romans and these, you know, monotheistic religions. So anyway, Christianity became persecuted um, and it came in waves. It wasn't like a, a constant oppression. There were certain emperors who had a bigger set against the Christians than others. Uh, but 
always being a Christian, it made you suspect, made you a bit of a problem in Rome. And so Christianity, for the most part, was kind of underground. Christians would meet in each other's homes and in the catacombs as places where they would celebrate the Eucharist and where they would gather. The big turning point, of course, is when Constantine becomes emperor. Uh, And Constantine is very sympathetic to the Christians. He believes that it is Jesus that has helped him to become the emperor. And um, although he only gets baptized on his deathbed, he effectively gets counted as a Christian. And it's the Emperor Constantine who establishes the famous Edict of Milan in 313 AD, which made it legal, I suppose, for Christians to practice their religion in public. And because Constantine was so sympathetic to Christianity, you know, even though technically he wasn't a Christian, he actually donated his palace in Rome to the Pope. It was the Lateran Palace. And this was adapted to become the first church, dedicated on the 9th of November in the year 324. So the Lateran Palace was the place where the Pope lived and the place where the Pope had his church, his cathedral. It was the first place of public worship after the Edict of Milan. Now, I was very blessed when I was in Rome to study um, at the Lateran University, which is just around the corner from St. John Lateran Basilica. So I'd pop in there quite often. And it really is a beautiful church, um, despite the fact that it's fallen into ruin a couple of times and um, really doesn't look like what it would have in the year 324. But contained within St. John Lateran Basilica are a few interesting little relics. Now, historically, you can make of this what you like, I suppose. You know, how do you really know that these things are what they, in fact, claim to be? But despite that, I think they do have a kind of um, theological meaning over and above their historical meaning. So the claim is that within the altar on which the Pope celebrates Mass are the heads of Saints Peter and Paul and the wooden tabletop on which St. Peter used to celebrate the Mass. Now, it's easy to scoff, I suppose, and say, oh, how could you possibly know that those two heads in there belonged to Peter and Paul? And and how could you possibly know that the wood there is actually what St. Peter used to use as an altar? You know, you probably couldn't put your hand on a Bible and swear to God that we know with absolute historical certainty the origin of these things. But while we do have a long tradition of having said that that's what they are, But over and above kind of the historical importance of these items, I think is a theological significance that the Pope celebrating Mass at this altar connects us with the Eucharist which was celebrated by Jesus at the Last Supper. That through the apostolic foundations, through the preaching of St. Paul and the authority of St. Peter, that we are put in contact with with Jesus himself who nourishes us with his own body and blood. It's not about the stone and wood that was dedicated in 324 at St. John Lateran Basilica. It's the reality of the church as the means by which God graces his people. You know, this image that the prophet Ezekiel has of water coming out of the temple to give new life to a dry and arid world, um, that's what the church is. 
We can look to St. John Lateran Basilica as the head and the mother of all churches, but it's about the communication of grace and of holiness that the church is to the world. That's why she's our mother, because we receive life from our mother. She brings us the life of baptism. She feeds and nourishes us in the Eucharist. She brings us reconciliation and healing in our sicknesses. And she teaches us the way of the gospel so that we may grow strong in the life of faith and of discipleship. She really is a mother. The church gives birth to saints. And so we really need to love our mother. At the Saviour's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Let us welcome Christ into our hearts with an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. And we finish by praying Pope Francis's prayer to Mary during the coronavirus pandemic. O Mary, you shine continuously on our journey as a sign of salvation and hope. We entrust ourselves to you, health of the sick. At the foot of the cross, you participated in Jesus' pain with steadfast faith. You, salvation of the Roman people, know what we need. We are certain that you will provide, so that as you did in Cana of Galilee, joy and feasting might return after this moment of trial. Help us, Mother of Divine Love, to conform ourselves to the Father's will and to do what Jesus tells us. He who took our sufferings upon himself and bore our sorrows to bring us through the cross to the joy of the resurrection. Amen. We seek refuge under your protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our pleas we who are put to the test, and deliver us from every danger, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.